So will you turn uh, with me this morning to our uh, New Testament reading? We, on our Wednesday night uh, at City Groups and also on Sunday mornings, we're going to be looking at the book of Acts, working through that book. And I'm going to read uh, the uh, first section of chapter 2, first 13 verses, uh, which is uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And we're going to look at that for a few moments this morning before celebrating the Lord's Supper together. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the center, the entire house uh, where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, And at the sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And they were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. Amen. This is the word of God. May his blessing and uh, his favor rest on us as we read and consider this passage together. And I want to spend a little bit of time uh, looking at this chapter. Obviously, it's a hugely significant and important chapter, and we can only dip into it very briefly this morning. But you will have heard of the law of unintended consequences, and uh, it's uh, when uh, we make a decision about something, uh, but we don't realize some of the uh, the following on consequences of the decision we've made. We don't think about it. Politicians talk about it all the time. Well, one of the great, at the beginning of the year, I know that you all think we know what we're doing as a congregation, as leaders, but really we don't. We're just, we're just drifting from day to day, trying our best to be strategic and seeking God's blessing and grace on us. But one of the uninte- what we did at the beginning of the year was to take the book of Acts and we were going to preach it in the mornings and we were also going to study it for a longer time Uh, right through the year on a Wednesday evening. But one of the great things that we hadn't really, well, I certainly hadn't really thought about it, was uh, the unintended consequence of uh, revisiting certain passages. Now, on Wednesday night, you read this passage Wednesday past, and the previous Wednesday, we dipped into the passage, and uh, then on Sunday, we preached similarly, and then today, we're looking at it again. So we're kind of coming at this chapter from all angles and in different ways, and it's great. It's really worth doing that. And it was unintended, just in case you think we had it all planned out. But it's good and significant. And this is a hugely important passage of Scripture. I just want to say one or two things about this passage today for us as it applies to our own understanding of the Christian faith and and what it means for us to worship and to understand the mission of God. The first thing I want to say is that things are not as they seem. Things are not as they seem. That's a vital and repeated truth of Scripture again and again. And it's very important for us as we live our Christian lives 
uh, with the spiritual realities of uh, our faith, to remind ourselves that things are not as they seem. If you remember in this passage, or passage before it, the disciples are kind of looking up to heaven because Jesus is gone. Jesus is gone. He's no longer there. And it was overwhelming for them to not have this person, this friend, this Messiah, this Savior with them in the flesh. And yet, as they began to understood, they recognized and came to know that he was enthroned. He was enthroned in victory at the right hand of the Father, ascended in that coronational way to the right hand of the Father as the King of Kings who had defeated the power of death and the grave. And that, that, that utterly changed their perspective and changed their understanding and changed their life and changed what they were and they listened and expected uh, from God because of this. Death was defeated. Things were not as they seemed for that small group of early believers. And they now were to receive what he promised before he was ascended, that if they waited on him, that he would send the Holy Spirit and that the church would be baptized in this great gift that, they, that he sends to them. And so we need to remember as we live our Christian lives, as we think of what, who we are and what we're doing, and it may seem for us sometimes in the experiences of life that Jesus is gone, that he's nowhere to be seen, that we can't touch him and feel him and respond to him, and yet he is enthroned, the spiritual reality and the spiritual truth as he is enthroned, and he has delivered to us the greatest of all gifts. He's given us his Holy Spirit, the greatest of all gifts, and I want to think about him and uh, remember that for a few moments this morning, uh, looking at Pentecost in the light of this giving of the greatest of all gifts, not just to the church of the first century, but to every believer and to every Christian and to every church uh, and whose trust uh, in Jesus, that their trust is in Jesus, that they have this remarkable gift, the perfect gift of God for every believer and for every church. This is the outworking of God's own continued eternal plan that he ascends to the Father in the flesh and pours out the gift of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, uh, to be with, to dwell with, to be uh, in the hearts of every believer. This is his mission. We've spoken a lot about the mission of God, haven't we, over this last year? This is his purpose. This is plan. This is plan for you as you sit here this morning as a believer. This is the outworking of his plan. He is, it's always been his plan A for you. It has always been what he has promised that he would deliver to every Christian. There is no other plan. There is no plan B. There is nothing we can go back to God with and say, listen, God, I think you were a bit wrong. I don't think you should have done what you've done. I'm sure there's a better way for you than to have ascended physically and to have sent your Holy Spirit. And it behoves us as Christians to understand him and what he has done. It behoves us to not ignore this gift 
but to receive this gift that he has given us and to understand what it means to be people who uh, have been given this most perfect of gifts, not just perfect in the person of the Spirit, but most perfect in the provision of the Spirit for us. It is what we need. Don't we often go back to God and say, God, I don't think you understand what I need. That's not what I need. I don't need the Holy Spirit. I don't even understand what that, is, what that concept is and who he is. I need something else. And we come to God wrestling with him and telling him that his purpose and his plan and his provision for us is wrong. It's imperfect. It's not what we need. And so it's really important for us to consider this Pentecost gift and why it's so significant and why without that gift, we, we are not Christians. And we are not the church. And we have misunderstood. And we are driving and walking and living and running down a path that is a dead end. Because this is his gift for us, the Pentecost gift that he gives us on, uh, at the early uh, juncture of the New Testament church. When the day of Pentecost arrived, the Pentecost feast was uh, why everyone was gathered in Jerusalem Pentecost just means 50, 50th day, 50th day after uh, the Day of Atonement and after, uh, the, Passover, after the Passover feast, uh, which uh, we see transformed and Jesus Christ takes and, and uses uh, as the f- basis for the Lord's Supper that we will celebrate uh, today. But 50 days after that was the Feast of Passover or uh, the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest. And it was when the people of God came together to thank God for not just the planting of of harvest and not just for the seasons, but for the harvest itself. And they brought back to God the first fruits of their harvest. So it was kind of promise fulfillment. When they came with all the fruits, it was the fact that the the promise of harvest was fulfilled and they brought these first fruits uh, to God. And this whole time, this whole section of Scripture, this whole point in the uh, uh, chrono- uh, chronology of, of the New Testament is, is filled with first fruits. There's, there's Jesus, the first fruits of resurrection, and then there's uh, the Holy Spirit, which is the first fruits of his ascension. And then we have the, the believers coming to faith that Corey will preach on next Sunday morning, God willing is the first fruits of of that work. And it's all to do with the fulfillment of promise. And in chapter 1 and verse 5, we we looked at that, didn't we? Jesus said, look, wait, because for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And there's this huge newness coming into uh, the covenant of God and the covenant he has with his people, where in his ascension power and victory, he declares this this Holy Spirit uh, is to be sent out uh, to uh, the whole of the church. And that marks it as a new time where Jesus physically returns, but spiritually, he doesn't just sit beside us. He doesn't just walk on the water. He doesn't just speak to us, but he indwells us in the presence of his soul. It's better than ascension. It's better than resurrection as we look at and think about these realities. It is God in us and with us, uh, Emmanuel 
uh, coming into our lives and hearts. So there's a, a great newness here. And uh, there's a great... I think we, we ought to remember this because we, we're covenant theologians. We're co- we believe in the covenant of God and we believe that uh, it's the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant here that, that we see. Uh, and so we, we believe in continuity with the Old Testament, that it's the unfolding and uh, uh, increasingly revealed will of God through his people uh, to the coming of Christ. But sometimes we allow that to, uh, we forget because of that, the discontinuity. That This marks a radical difference and a radical newness in our understanding of God and of grace and of covenant and of the victory that he has uh, won for us on the cross. And he, he pours out his spirit on the church in a new and in a radical and in a revolutionary way. One baptism. One baptism unto the church. Many fillings. And that truth remains real for every Christian. When we come to faith, we are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then throughout our lives, there are many fillings. We need constantly to be refilled uh, with the presence of of God. So it happens you know, symbolically and significantly at, at this feast. And so we see, and we don't have time today to look at that, but all the feasts point forward to spiritual truths that are fulfilled in the coming of Christ uh, and of uh, his glorious redemptive work. But it is for us a gift beyond compare. It's momentous. So in recognizing and knowing the person of the Holy Spirit, in the life of the church and in the life of the individual is never and can never be for us a sideshow. We can never sit under this truth and just shrug our shoulders and say, okay, I suppose so. That happened a long time ago. Because it's utterly important to recognize what it means for us as Christians to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, which is the truth and the reality of this passage, the truth of this scripture, the truth of the mission of God for the church and for us as Christians. You can't leave this passage of scripture on the shelf. It has huge implications for our day-to-day ordinary living. And you're coming today, and I'm coming today with all kinds of different needs and all different kind of burdens and joys and struggles, and battles, and doubts, and faith. And we need to take and caress and apply this truth to our own lives. It's a gift beyond compare. Now, it's very rude, isn't it, to take a gift and to leave it unwrapped in the corner? It's very rude not to consider what Jesus Christ has done in the pouring out of this gift for us, and to recognize its great significance in our Christian living. And there's two things I want to say about this gift of the Holy Spirit. We could say much more, I know. Uh, The first is presence, and the second is power. So if we look at uh, uh, Ezekiel chapter 36, for example, and at verse 27, uh, one of these great Old Testament promises that are looking forward, uh, God says uh, through the prophet, I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land uh, I gave you, 
your fathers shall be my people, and I will be your God. I will remove the heart of stone from you, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. This great prophecy of God's presence. God's presence with every believer, with every Christian, with everyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ in a unique way that was unknown to the vast majority of people in the Old Testament. And that's, uh, that powerful presence is symbolized in the strong wind uh, that comes together. Suddenly there's a sound like a mighty, sounded like it. It wasn't, but it sounded like it. Uh, a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Wind often associated with the presence uh, of the living God. And that's what he's saying. He's saying to us, every believer will know the presence of the living God in their lives and hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why the biblical language for becoming a Christian says you're born again. I guess um, maybe in modern society, the the whole idea of being born again is is taken on a degree of ridicule uh, in the secular world in which we live. But but it's a very biblical phrase, very biblical term, because it's speaking about a rebirth. It's speaking about the significance of the Holy Spirit coming into the lives of every Christian, that we we, we are spiritually dead. We come to Christ and accept him. He breathes life into us. And uh, we come to uh, recognize and accept him as Lord and Savior. Um, And that's a hugely significant uh, reality. Now, that birth for us, some of us as covenant children, some of us who have never consciously uh, not uh, believed but have come through Christian family, that birth may be very gentle, may not even be tremendously dramatic in any sense, but nonetheless is real because as we have come to faith, we are infused with the breath of God. We become children of God. We're adopted into His family, and He gives us His presence within us. God with us. Not just God in church. Not just God when we open the Bible. Not just God every so often when we listen to a podcast. But God infuses His Spirit into our life. So wherever we walk, Whatever we do in the most mundane realities of our lives, God says He's present with us in our conscience, in our intellect, in our personality, in all that we are, in all that we do. He has infused His life into all that we are. We are made clean. And, you know, we know these words, we we hear these words, we've moved from death to life. We have moved into a, a whole different spiritual dimension because we have come to know God. And that, for us, It's a great gift and a great privilege. But can I say it's also a great responsibility? It's a great responsibility for us that uh, we are indwelt by the Spirit of God. We we need to understand it as something more than a philosophical truth, theological truth. We're children. We're children. Uh, By adoption and by the indwelling of the Spirit of the living God. God is not some kind of distant benefactor to us. He's not our patron. He's not the person that we look up to. We are a bunch of Christians and God's our patron and we, we serve him. He's not our genie in a lamp that uh, we call on in simply in times of need to give us something miraculous and uh, amazing in our lives. He, he is not the, a dancer 
who dances to our tune. This is the living God who comes to dwell in us in the person of His Spirit. And therefore, the core of everything that we believe is relational, is that we are in a friendship with Him. And we have that language used biblically, a marriage with Him. He is our King and we are His citizens. And uh, we are to recognize and work at and develop that relationship with His Holy Spirit. And we are empowered to do so. We're empowered to know God and to love Him and to enjoy Him through the work of the Holy Spirit. So we use all the means of grace. I spoke about singing. I spoke about church, the Bible, prayer. These are all means of grace that enable us to develop this relationship with the Holy Spirit who lives in us. It's a relational uh, reality for us, presence. So God, wherever we are, whatever we do, however distant we feel from God, however we long for His, His felt presence, and, and that's a good thing to long for, the reality is He says, I am with you. I have given you my Spirit. Uh, you know me, and uh, I will never leave you or forsake you. But it also doesn't only speak of presence, uh, it speaks of power. Um, uh, power, transforming power in Jeremiah chapter 31 and uh, at verse 33 we have these words uh, for this is the covenant uh, and again a prophetic promise looking forward this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days declares the Lord I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be uh, their God, and they shall be my people. All uh, of my people will know me from the least to the greatest. And there's this great sense in which the law of God, the, the law of love, which is what the law of God is, the law of loving God and loving our neighbor, is, is, is in, engraved on our hearts through the person and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that tongues of fire speaks of the power of God that comes into our lives and the power of His, his law, the power of His purity, the power of His person, the power of uh, transforming us towards holiness is given to us by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit empowers us to desire God and to desire His law and to desire uh, His words and desire His kingdom to obey Him. Now, I know probably the, the greatest challenge that I have pastorally from day to day and week to week when I meet with people is when they say, listen, I can't. I can't live this life. I can't live it anymore. I can't do it. It's impossible. And so people walk away. People turn their backs. People think Christ is harsh and the way is difficult and the way of the world is much easier. These things, humanly speaking, are all true. But he has empowered us so that when we say, I can't, he gently whispers and says, you can. Because I've given you what you need to see your heart transformed and heart uh, moved towards that place of loving service and obedience and empowerment to be different. Now again, can I say, that power then needs in our lives to be harnessed 
and developed. This gift that is given to the church here, symbolically seen in the wind and in the tongues of fire uh, for the Holy Church, needs for us to be harnessed and developed. So that's, that's where things maybe are different for us, where we say we can't. We say, well, actually, I know we can't, but we go to God with that and say, may your spirit take and transform my life and heart. It's, that's the gift we need to, to keep us from saying, I can't. See, God doesn't take his gift of the Holy Spirit and ram it down our throats. He just simply doesn't do that. He doesn't force us into that place where, I'll take this Holy Spirit if it's the last thing I do. He doesn't do that because he's, he's brought us to life. He's brought us into relationship and he's given us this gift and he says, don't neglect this gift. Take this gift and develop it. Wait on me as they, as an early church, waited on the Lord and seek this gift and seek the reality of this gift and protect this gift. You know, you're in relationships, all of you. All of you are in relationships, whether it's parental or siblings or with husbands or wives or lovers or uh, colleagues or friends. We're all in relationships. And you know, and I know that all of these relationships need protected and developed and matured. We don't simply say, hello, one day, and then never develop that relationship ever again. We know that friendship is something that we need to work on. And when we offend one another, we deal with that and we, we break through it and we ask for forgiveness and we grow and we mature because that's what friendship is. And what God has given us is relationship with himself. And our responsibility is to recognize that we have a responsibility to develop that relationship. The New Testament speaks a lot about resisting the Spirit of God, quenching the Spirit of God, grieving the Spirit of God. Look up these references. Go home, go onto the internet, go up Google, just put on grieving the Spirit, resisting the Spirit. Look at the, look at the, 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 the context of these verses and we'll find that we have responsibility to live in a way that enables the relationship that God has given us, the gift he's given us with the Holy Spirit, to be developed and encouraged and strengthened. We're not to ignore him. We're not to be prayerless. We're not to have a closed Bible. We're not to give up on the fellowship of worship and of praise together. We are to encourage one another. We are to be uh, those who daily need to put sin to death. Because sin in our hearts, when we enthrone it, when we love it, when we are jealous or uh, uh, grievous in our thinking or whatever sin it might be, if we cherish and nurture that, then we grieve and resist and quench the Spirit. And therefore we struggle and we say, I can't. But he's given us this power to put to death this, the remaining sin in our lives. By his, and he loves, he loves for us to know that. And he, he simply wants us to rely on him, to recognize our need, to understand that he has given us what we need in his spirit, relationally, and in power and in presence to live our Christian lives. We are not on our own. Isn't that the greatest struggle we have? Lord, why, why isn't it different? Why can't it be easier? 
Why can't I know heaven now? Why do suicides happen? What is it about? We don't understand. We don't know. We can't do it in our own strength. But he has provided the power and the presence to enable us to grow and to develop and to know victory over death and over the grave. So very briefly, very briefly, what else very briefly can we learn from this passage? And we can only skim through it. We learn it's for all. We recognize and know that they were all filled, verse 4, with the Holy Spirit. They were all in one place. It's very significant. The whole of the New Testament church at that point was all together as they waited for God to pour out His Spirit. And so every believer is given this gift. Every believer is baptized in the Holy Spirit. From Pentecost onwards, that's the case. There's, there's no other kind of Christian. There's not a Spirit-filled, baptized Christian and a, a kind of second-class Christian. Uh, all Christians are baptized in the Spirit in coming to Christ, and all Christians uh, continue to need the Holy Spirit of God. As for all, uh, the danger for us sometimes is that we forget that reality, and we try and live our Christian lives without that relation, without that miracle, without that spiritual reality, without that uh, grace-filled experience in our lives. So the danger for you and for me sometimes is if we allow Christ to be a stranger, if we have no desire for his worship and his people and his holiness, no desire to change, no desire to pray, no need for him, no witness to the resurrection in our lives, then we do need to consider if we understand what the gospel is. We can't live on our own as Christians. Of course we can. It's one baptism. Many fillings. We keep going back, asking God to be with us in His presence and His Spirit, to help us love His Word, to understand it, to give us an appetite for it, to love His people <laughs> with all our failings and faults, and uh, to love uh, the means of grace He's given us. So it's for all. And it's also a, a new society, isn't it? That... He gives us here, we have uh, people here who all come together and they all speak, uh, in the, or they all are baptized in the Holy Spirit and uh, they all speak in different tongues, tongues of all the different uh, Jewish people that have gathered in Jerusalem and yet there's an incredible unity uh, in the diversity of that. Um, and there's all kinds of things that I, we don't have time to speak about here about culture and uh, the reality of, of culture and the importance of culture, but also the fact that God works over and above culture and isn't bound by it and transcends it. He reimagines culture for us, and that's important. Uh, he breaks or he uh, unites despite culture, and through culture, he brings us together and he gives us his gifts, the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit to work together. So an interesting quote this week about Scotland, uh, which I'm going to apply spiritually, is that we like building bridges, not walls. And that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. He reminds us that we are, in culturally speaking and generally, we're not building walls. 
we're building bridges to one another and God because God has built a bridge to us. And we remind ourselves that the God we worship here in the middle of Edinburgh, 21st century, God is not a Scottish God. God is not a free church God. God is the sovereign God of the universe. And we rejoice in the diverse cultural expression of understanding uh, God and grace, but recognize that he can't be bound by culture, but works in and through culture. It's a new society united by the Spirit and a society that that we're all part of that speaks the language of worship. These people, with all the variety of la- miraculous variety of languages they were given on this occasion, uh, declared the praises of God together. That's what they did, the wonders and the marvels of God. And it was uh, remarkable for those who were listening. That's our politics. It's the politics of worship that we profess and that we believe and that we speak as believers, and we declare the wonders of God. That's what we do together. You know what often happens in churches? We slag one another, and we're divided, and we find fault, and we criticize, and we judge, and we condemn. But our calling under the power and grace of the Holy Spirit is to declare the wonders of God. That's what we are asked to do, and it's amazing. We are to testify as to why He's worthy. We're to say He's transformed our lives, and He has given us hope. And it's amazing what we're able to do. It's very interesting. The Galileans were known to be quite a kind of rough people. Uh, and they spoke quite roughly. They were kind of working class, sort of ordinary, a guttural uh, way they spoke. And it wasn't very glamorous, uh, very sophisticated. And yet, here, these Galileans, were told, are speaking in all the languages of the known world and miraculously decre- declaring uh, the wonders of God. It's a language. And then very briefly, sorry... I didn't mean to go on very briefly. The last six, but all, it's a new society, and uh, we need to expect a reaction. As God's people who believe in God's gift, who have received the Holy Spirit, and who seek the blessing and grace of that, we need to recognize and know that as new people, and as those who declare the wonders of God in our lives, in our workplaces, in our homes, in our societies, that that will be noted. And do you see all the different responses here? Amazement, perplexity, bewilderment, questions, ridicule. The whole gambit is, comes across here. We, we see there's great amazement in people as they see the Holy Spirit poured out on the church. I, I long for that here uh, as a community that People who look in our friends, the ones you've been praying for, the three, three friends you're praying for all the time. Many of them came to the carol service. Some of them see and know your Christian life, that they are amazed, sometimes perplexed, sometimes bewildered by the fact of our Christian community and our Christian lives and the difference that we are. We try so hard to assimilate. Maybe it's time that we simply declared the wonders of God in our lives by our obedience by the power of God and by his presence. And when we do so, they will ask questions. They will ask questions. What does it mean? What must we do? Progressive questions. And our task, our privilege is to simply tell them. We don't need to be experts. We just tell them 
what we know. Declare the wonders of God as we can in our own culture, in our own family, in our own way. Just tell them. Let God do his work. We don't, we're not asked to con- convert or change, bring someone to life. That's God's privilege and, and God's work. He will send his spirit. But it will also possibly and occasionally react in ridicule. They'll think we're just crazy, mad, drunken people one way or another. We'll be persecuted. We can't avoid that. But we just keep loving them. And we keep uh, seeking to be countercultural and uh, recognizing that what God asks us to do is beyond our ability without his power and without his spirit. So as we come to the Lord's table, may we uh, just spend a few minutes just in silence uh, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper and uh, think of his mission, think of his work, think of his love for us, uh, and think of his outstanding gift. And remind ourselves of the simplicity of the Christian faith, which is to ask and to receive and to cooperate with all that he has done on our behalf and for us. Let's pray uh, briefly. Lord God, we ask and pray that you would remember us today, bless us around your table, and may we know uh, your grace and your favor upon us. Uh, Help us to love you and serve you more and more each day. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And we're going to sing briefly in a, a moment, and I'm going to ask that if uh, you're intending and hoping to uh, sit with us at the Lord's table and participate uh, in the bread and the wine, that uh, we're going to sing a psalm shortly. We sometimes sing our psalms unaccompanied, and we'll do that this morning. Uh, I invite you, if you're, if you're upstairs and you intend to participate in the Lord's Supper, if you may be during the singing of that psalm, if you want to come downstairs, uh, just so you're in the body of the, the church, uh, and it makes it a little bit easier to serve. So if you are upstairs and want to participate during the singing, uh, please uh, come down and sit. Uh, on the, there's plenty of chairs for everyone. And also, uh, when we uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper, not every time, but... Uh, Four times a year we welcome new members to the congregation and it's our privilege today uh, to welcome five new members to the congregation. Uh, We ask new members to write a a testimony of their faith and uh, also just to answer one or two questions uh, from the front. And I'll just introduce the five people who are uh, worshipping with us today and uh, who are joining the congregation. First is Dan Cooper. Dan uh, moved up from England to Edinburgh. last year for work and he settled among us. Dan didn't grow up in a Christian home but came to faith in Christ as his saviour at university. And like many of us, he says, over the past few years, although I've stumbled and fallen short many times, I've grown in knowledge of God and love of his son and I know that his grace is sufficient for me. Nathan is with us today. Nathan uh, uh, is from Australia. He worships with us, came from a missionary family, uh, moved uh, over to Scotland to see how the other half lives and uh, we're hoping that he'll stay here uh, long term. He professed faith in Christ in his childhood and then went through a rocky period when he left school, but found that Christian friends and uh, a commitment to the church helped him tremendously. And he now says, while uh, things have continued to be up and down with some very specific challenges moving to the UK, we can appreciate that, Nathan, 
uh, by God's grace, I can uh, agree with the songwriter who wrote whatever my lot has taught me to say it as well, as well with my soul. And then Alistair and Cathy McLeod uh, are also joining us. Both Alistair and Cathy became Christians in their teens, uh, in their homes in the Highlands, and uh, they have both been involved in Christian ministry throughout their lives together. Alistair served as a minister in rural and urban settings. He's been a church planter. He's been a professor in the college. And uh, together they have always served Jesus Christ as a team. They returned to Lewis last year to look after, or a couple of years ago, to look after Alistair's mum. And now they've relocated to Edinburgh this summer. And uh, they say, we have, listen, listen to this, this is good. We have known your minister for far too long, but are working hard to give him some respect. Uh, knowing that, uh, the great, that God can uh, give us the grace to do that. Uh, seriously, they say, it's great to be here, enjoying being ministered to and looking forward to what the Lord has in store for us all in St. C's. We all have our battles to face. And then Fraser Patterson. Uh, Fraser is a freelance tour guide in Edinburgh. He's been part of St. Columbus along with his wife Jane for the last 18 month, months. Fraser uh, wasn't a Christian when he first came along, but through the preaching, the fellowship, and particularly doing one-to-one Bible studies with Paul uh, James Griffiths on the book of John, he has come to understand the gospel and put in his trust in Jesus as his saviour. These, he says, are some aspects in which my experience of St. Columbus has made me open my heart to actively participating in the Christian faith and to start becoming a better person with Christ's help and by his grace. And I'm sure I will continue to do so. And that's our prayer for each and every one of us. And uh, I'll just ask them to stand up for a moment and I'm going to ask them the questions we ask of people coming into membership and then pray for them. Very simple questions and just... Uh, reflect uh, our understanding of what it means to be a member. So these five members, uh, Alistair and Cathy and Dan and Fraser, stand up. Sorry to embarrass you in such a way. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the only Savior of sinners, in whom you put your personal hope and trust as a sinner needing forgiveness, grace, and spiritual life? Do you resolve by prayerful reliance on the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to live as dis- continue living as disciples of Christ? Do you promise to support this church, family, and its worship and work with your gifts and graces to the best of your ability? And do you submit yourself to the pastoral care, teaching, and discipline of the spiritual leaders of the church and seek its peace and prosperity as we promise to love and care for you? I'm going to pray. Lord God, we ask and pray that you would bless our friends today, uh, watch over them, take care of them, uh, love them. Uh, We thank you for Dan and for Nathan, for Alistair and Cathy and for Fraser. We thank you for the experience they've already known. Uh, I know and uh, understand that they would all be able to give their amen to the great gift of the Holy Spirit who has uh, been with them and in their lives and who has transformed their hearts. Uh, to know and love and serve Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for them, and we pray that you would bless us all as we seek to minister to one another, encourage one another, serve uh, Jesus Christ through the local church, which is your great model and great pattern for us. So bless us now for the moments that we sit together at the Lord's table. May it be refreshing and renewing and exciting for us so to do, for we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.